how did you get to where you are professionally? Um, so I, you know, I, I, I did not study journalism. I, uh, did not, journalism wasn't something that I dreamed of doing since I was young. Uh, I didn't study journalism in college. I studied political science and I studied Middle Eastern studies, um, thinking that maybe I would work in international politics somehow. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. You know, I went to college in a post 9-11 environment. So I studied Arabic thinking like, you know. Arabic speakers are what are needed. Um, and then, you know, I also went on an adventure and I, I moved to Cairo after I graduated from college. I had studied abroad there and then I moved there and I was working as a school teacher um, with the intention that I would probably live there for a year, have an adventure, work on my Arabic, and then move back to the States and look for, you know, jobs that were more in whatever field I ended up working in. Um, I quit my job as a school teacher pretty early on and I ended up working for a local English language magazine in Cairo and that exposed me to foreign journalists who were living and working in Cairo. And from there, I was actually sort of convinced by one of them late at night at a party that I should, you know, be a journalist myself. And, you know, I speak Arabic, I communicate with people, I like to write, why not do this? I'm here. And then that person taught me how to write a pitch and from there I started pitching ideas to foreign publications. I mean, I was like, yeah, this sounds good. Why not? And then I learned that I really like it. And it was something that made me really happy. And I started freelancing, but I, I moved from Egypt to Yemen in 2009 because, uh, I thought that the scene in Cairo, the freelance journalist, foreign freelance journalist scene in Cairo was a bit oversaturated and there weren't many in Yemen. So then I moved to Yemen and that was in 2009, and then and then several years later, and there was more things that happened in between um, 2009 and then, and this time. But um, in 2011, the protests started in Yemen as part of the Arab Spring, and that's when I began writing for the New York Times as like a full-time stringer, freelance stringer for them, um, you know, throughout 2011 and into 2012. And and when you say you didn't like some stuff and you like some stuff, can you give me some specifics or? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, I mean, I can first start with things I don't like. I remember this affects me a bit less now because I'm not, like, doing breaking news anymore. I'm not really reporting that much in Georgia, Um, very little, in fact. I'm sort of just living here. um, And so, But but one thing I really didn't like in Yemen was that I always carried the baggage of being a journalist. And it still happens to me every now and then. You know, you meet someone and they're like, oh, well, I don't trust journalists, so... Uh, XYZ and and I don't mean like don't trust journalists in terms of the like you know climate in the US right now for right. the presidential administration but I mean like like you know someone maybe they work for the they work they work for the United Nations or they work for the US government somehow or they work I don't know and just uh, just sort of always having that baggage in your conversations with someone and your relationships with them I don't like that. Um, I did end up struggling. I do struggle, I think, with uh, the, the always having to be on for breaking news, which is why I turned away from that, um, in which you're constantly working. Um, I don't think I'm that great at that. I didn't like that particularly about it. Um, and also that it, you weren't like diving deep into things, um, which I prefer now trying to work on features only, do it, that part of it. Um and so those are the big thing I don't like is I just remember always like having the baggage of being a journalist. It actually just happened to me again recently. I, I happened to be sitting, I was flying on an airplane between Oman, Muscat Oman, and um, and 
uh, Bahrain, where I was going for a conference, and I happened to be sitting next to this Yemeni guy who knew who I was, it was really funny, um, who works for the United Nations in a capacity, and, you know, he just kept saying, sort of, you know, I don't trust journalists, I don't trust journalists, <laughs> he wasn't saying it about me, but sort of other situations that he's had, um, and interactions with journalists that he's had, so I was just like, oh, this is annoying, I hate that this has to color our conversation, but, uh, you know, there's a reason for that, so that's, that's the main thing I don't like. And what I like, I mean, what I like the most, I just remember, like, I just love having conversations with people who I would never come across otherwise. I think it's so fascinating and getting to learn about people's lives. It's, it's like definitely, uh, you know, one of, one of many of my favorite parts. Right. And now can you speak about your time as a war correspondent? Yeah. I mean, that's a complicated, it's a complicated question as well. Yeah. Um, What is life like in that field? I'm sorry. I said, "What is life like in that field?" Yeah, so I, um, you know, I didn't really. Uh, I was living in the Middle East, but I didn't really intend to cover conflict. I mean, you know, I never went to Iraq or like any or Afghanistan or something like that. Um, when I was in Yemen, there was, you know, occasional. There was there was a war going on in the far north of Yemen, but I never tried to go there. I never had any desire to go there. It never really affected life in the capital Sanaa too much. And there are other things I did that were, you know, from the outside, like, look dangerous to an outsider, but it, you know, the risk was, was actually not that great, um, when I was working in Yemen. So, so I had really had no desire to cover conflict or I didn't really think about it all that much, I guess. Um, and then conflict came to Yemen in the capital in 2011, um, as part of the Arab Spring, and, and, you know, it first started with violence against protesters. That was quite brutal, you know, with the government attacking mm. unarmed protesters. And then uh, and then that sort of brought a war to the capital because the army in, in Yemen had split between two sides, and those two sides started fighting each other. It's not like the war that's happening in Yemen right now. It's, it's much it's much smaller scale. Um, okay. But it still was, you know, I mean, people were dying in the capital. It was still, you could hear, you know, every night you heard um, artillery firing and, um, and things like that. I just yeah. realized recently that my, my, uh, what my weapons vocabulary has decreased, <laughs> which I kind of like, I appreciate it about, but yeah, artillery was artillery that was firing. And, uh, yeah. And so, so that was something that, you know, it, it just sort of, I feel like my, um, what do you, how do you call it? Like my, the way I sit in violence, um, it just like slowly increase so that you kind of get used to it. But because a person gets used to anything, right? Like Yemenis right now who are living in amidst like horrible violence. Like I'm not saying that this is good. I'm not saying that they want it, but like you can sort of just, you get used to life when life is really hard. Um, mm. I mean, humans, that's, that's across the board anywhere. And so, I was, you know, I slowly got used to it. First it was some like shoot, like a few occasional shooting against protesters. Then the shooting got worse. Then it was like, you know, big guns fired at protesters and you just sort of like slowly get used to it. And, um, I, I mean, my experience, I think also working as what could be called a war correspondent, you know, or covering conflict as a journalist is a lot different than most people, or it's different than the sort of like covering a conflict in Iraq or something like that. I mean, for one thing, I was living very much so amongst the violence, um, and then, you know, without like a special driver or without anything like that, that sort of reporters would get in Iraq. I mean, the war is quite different as well. Um, and it was very much like just integrated in my life in a very just sort of normal way. You were like, oh, well, this is the part of the city that's violent and you don't go there, but this is the part of the city that's not violent. And we just live our lives there like normal. I mean, I was like walking on the streets, just taking regular taxis. I mean, 
it wasn't, it didn't affect your life that much, except you heard what was happening in the other neighborhoods. Right. So, um, but I still think despite all of that, I mean, it's slowly after a year, um, it sort of, you know, wears, where war on me a lot, um, sort of constantly being in and out of violence and having to constantly be on in terms of vigilant is something that is, um, I mean, definitely, I mean, for people across, you know, in there in a lot of situations, but very acutely in that situation in which, you know, living in Sinai was always vigilant, um, you know, in terms of just like there's checkpoints in the city and the checkpoints are manned by different, um, militaries. So you constantly have to be like, okay, what, you know, type of uniform is the soldier wearing to know who the soldier, you know, what is my relationship going to be with the soldier? If he finds out I'm a journalist, is it going to be, you know, this sort of thing? You're just constantly on, constantly vigilant. And that yeah. does sort of, I think, uh, wear on one's nervous system after a while. I'm sure. Uh, I, I can only imagine. Um, so this kind of segues into my next question. Can you speak about your book that you wrote, Don't Be Afraid of the Bullets? Kind of give a brief synopsis of uh, the yeah. process of writing a book like that and all that goes into into a piece yeah, of that I, caliber. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got home from Yemen in 2012. I got home and I moved back to the U.S. in 2012 because I was um, a bit burned out. Uh, and I just felt like the only thing I could do possibly was write a book about the experience. Um, and like that, I almost had to do that to like pay homage to the experience as well. Cause it was just such a ex- crazy experience. I was 25 years old and sort of suddenly became uh, a New York times correspondent covering a conflict for the times. And I, you know, I wrote about, you know, over, I have like bylines on like over 100 articles for the time. So I was working a lot for them and it was just a, it was a heavy weight. And it was also just an incredible experience. And it was also incredible to live amongst Yemenis at that time. I mean, um, Yemen, well, it's a country that obviously has experienced such great hardships and such great conflict and particularly now, um, Yemenis are such an, in general, if I'm generalizing, I mean, it's, it's amazing to live in Yemen as a foreigner because of the hospitality there, because of the friendliness. It's also just a very friendly, fun, loving, funny culture. And, um, I really, I don't know. I wanted to somehow pay homage to that, I guess. And to the fact that I, I spent hours and hours and hours at the sit-in, the protest sit-in in Sanaa. It was called Change Square. Um, with just like these really incredible young people who, um, just, you know, only wanted a better future for their country and were trying for that the only way they knew how. And they just, they, they, they did, they had hope at that time and they believed in, they believed in this idea that their country could get better and their government could get better and, and that, that they possibly could live in and in in actually a democracy. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. something we take for granted in the States. And, uh, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to write about that. It was just also, it was incredible, but I mean, as a, um, as I, this like, uh, a, a professor, Professor, I forget of what, but um, he spent some time in Yemen. Said to me about reading my book, he said, "Your book is is the story of Yemen's breakdown, and it's also the story of your own personal breakdown coinciding <laughs> with with what happens in the country." And I uh, I liked that description of it a lot. I was like, "Yeah, that is kind of what happened. <laughs> that is kind of the story of the book because it's my own personal sort of falling apart with um, having lived in conflict for so long and having particular things happen to me as well." Uh, in the course of that year. And then also, of course, Yemen's, uh, you know, complete political breakdown. There was a moment of hope at the end, but that has um, completely vanished now. It's like the years have gone on. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was interesting getting that experience down into 
uh, you know, out in, in a book form. I, you know, now I look back on it and I wish that I had had more time. I wish that I had done things differently. I wish it, but at the time it was what I did, you know, in some ways I felt like I just like regurgitated that ex- crazy experience back on pages and, um, and, and hoped that, that other people would learn from it and, and hopefully could learn about Yemen some from it as well and, and, and sort of learn the ins and outs of this place that sort of gets painted by broad strokes often um, when it comes to Western media. Right. Wow. And now, what is it like to reacclimate to periods of peace when you're in such intense um, zones of conflict? Yeah, so I, um, I mean, it was quite difficult, I would say. I mean, difficult in a way, the time, sort of immediately afterwards. Um, you know, you go back and you're always vigilant. You go back to the U.S., always vigilant, always, um, you know, sort of feeling that life was boring as well and, like, wanting something exciting to happen. Um, and exciting kind of equals violent as well, which is what's so messed up about it. But um, just wanting the adrenaline rush, I mean, that, that was quite difficult also feeling that I'm not doing anything. I mean, I would say that the harder thing has been sort of acclimating to, um, you know, when I was in Yemen, I had this really incredible experience that I could was doing something that I really believed in. And every part of my waking life, probably sleeping life while I was there, was directed toward this thing that I truly believed in doing, that I was doing with my life. And that was a really, really incredible experience to be able to do that for a year. Um, and, you know, not doing that anymore, and doing it in that intensity, I mean, having it be like just given it handed to you a plate. I mean, we all want to have a purpose and my purpose was just handed to me and it was so, it was so much there. And so not being able to have that anymore, trying to find a purpose when it's not so intense and direct and, um, what has been, has definitely been a challenge and definitely is something that I still work on, you know, but it was also kind of an unsustainable life. I feel the life that I was living. So I had to step away from it for, for that reason. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's slowly, you know, you, you enjoy things, you feel bad for enjoying things that you know that, um, other people don't have. I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, right now, you know, the situation in Yemen is so horrible. So to know people that there are people that, you know, living amongst it, uh, in that situation, um, is, and you know, I'm here living in like complete peace is, is, uh, is, is sometimes, you know, the guilt associated with that is, is tricky, but it's, it is. Uh-oh, she just cut it. You just cut Oh, no. Laura? Hey, sorry, I Back? lost you there. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Where were we? Is that okay? Yeah, no, it's fine. I'll just do a little splicing, no big deal. Sure, uh, we sure. were We were pe- returning to periods of peace. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I don't know. I feel like I had all I had to say about that. Okay, cool. Perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, my my next question is, why is work, this this type of work, so important? Uh, yeah, I mean, the type of work in terms of, I mean, I mean there... It can be journalism in general, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, you know, there's the obvious, like, with regards to journalism, you know, there's, there's the obvious sort of uh, uh, accounts of shining light on and exposing things that, uh, you know, are, it's, it's worthy for them to be exposed and have light shine on them. Um, I think that there is something worth just getting things in the public record um, and that that 
that's worth something and maybe in generations in the future, you know, they can read, uh, you know, the accounts of what happens in XYZ country in, in right. a certain time um, in a way that they maybe wouldn't be able to otherwise. So you have to sort of believe in the value of that, of just the value of, of documentation um, of things, you know, and, and particularly documentation of things if it has to do with human rights uh, abuses, um, tragedies. I think ways that uh, decisions that the U.S. makes or that, that things have to have to do with U.S. law, the way that affects other countries, it's worth, and, other, and the way that affects other people's lives, I think it's worth just getting that into documentation, you know. Often, you know, you're sort of writing things and nothing really changes, um, and you think, what good is this? What does this do? It doesn't really do anything, but... I think that you have to sort of, I mean, I've just come to the point where I have to believe in that it's just worth it for the sake of doing it mm-hmm. um, because it's just worth it. It's worth it to record it. And so, and you know, there's often the case where people want their stories. To be, I mean, I mean, it's often I try and the stories that I try to tell are stories that people want to be told. Um, they they want to have their, you know, they want to tell their voice. And so they, they want that, you know, their voice to get out there. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's importance in that, uh, you know, there's the typical holding the power accountable and, and, and that sort of thing, which is of course, which is of course also important, but I mean, I hope, I mean, there's a lot of bad journalism out there too. So I don't want to say that journalism for the sake of, I don't want to say that like reporting on a foreign country for the sake of reporting on it is necessarily good. It's bad if it's done poorly, actually, right. I believe it's really bad. So I think like, doing it, a, you know, trying to, to, um, A, paint as accurate of a picture as possible, B, realize what you're coming from as often as for me, like a white American, um, into places where, um, I have so many privileges about, you know, over the people that I'm writing about based on the fact of my skin color and my passport and sort of coming into it, understanding that, understanding, any prejudices that I have going in about a country or about a population or people. And, um, you know, I think that that kind of thing is important. I think writing women's stories is important. That's something that I've realized more recently, you know, if stories aren't told enough, like having characters be women instead of only men is something that is tricky. And, you know, it's, it's things that chip away at, at larger issues. This isn't like what I've realized. This isn't like an immediate fix or it's rare. It's rare that journalism is an immediate fix. Sometimes it is. And that's like really amazing. I don't know. Like the New York times did that expose on the, the ill treatment of, uh, you know, women getting low wages who work in nail salons in New York city, you know, and I think that did change some things, uh, you know, like things like that, that you're just like, Oh wow. That actually sparked real change. That's amazing. But otherwise, you just have to believe that it's sort of like long-standing change, I guess, and right. and you have to, and it's not maybe it's just not going to be immediate. But there is value in doing it regardless. Mm-hmm. And what are your current projects? Oh, I have a story coming out in the Pacific Standard Magazine, in Pacific Standard Magazine, um, in their November issue, which may actually be out already. I'm not totally sure about that. I just saw a picture of the cover, so I'm not sure if it's, that means that it's on new stamps. But um, it is about, it's a feature piece, and it's about Syrians who live in Abkhazia. Abkhazia is a breakaway region of Georgia. Um, and it's kind of like a country that isn't like only a few other countries recognize it. 
and they brought Syrian refugees to, or you know, whether they're refugees or not is a question, but to live in Abkhazia and give them Abkhaz passports, and it's all, it's all, it's all quite interesting. Um, it has to do with the story, has to do with what makes a country a country. Um, sort of the merry-go-round of displacement, I'd like to call it, and, and sort of about how these labels that we put on people, whether it be nation or refugee or these sorts of things, like they, they're actually a lot more gray. They're not black and white like the world often likes them to be. So um, that I'm really excited about that piece. It's, uh, it's what's in the November issue of Pacific Standard. Otherwise, I have to say, I have something coming out of foreign policy, hopefully soon, from South Sudan, where I went recently on a trip with the International Women's Media Foundation. Um, so that's exciting. But otherwise, I'm just sending out some pitches. I, um, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to keep more tight lip these days of sort of what I... No, yeah, <laughs> totally. I totally understand that. <laughs> to, to work on, yeah. But I have some, I know, I have some goals of possibly writing another book as well. Um, I have two ideas. Both, uh, one of which is actually set back in the U.S. and sort of the area where I was raised. So, so, so I'll see. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see. I need to sort of, you know, I have ideas, and then I just need to like sort of poke at them a little bit more and see if they can come through. Actually, do like a little bit more work on them. Um, but, uh, but, but right now, I don't have anything big on my plate. So, I would really like to have something big. I would like to. <laughs> I have some things that I'm trying to start that hopefully would be big whether it be book or documentary. So we'll see what ends up coming to fruition. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Um, and now, how about how about how is life in Georgia? Yeah, so I have been living in Tbilisi, Georgia for the past year. Um, it's a great place. It's a great city. Georgia's an absolutely beautiful country. It's a nice mix of of Europe and the Middle East, probably more so Iran than anything else, but and also a lot of Russia thrown in there as well. I mean, it's its own thing. The Caucasus are their own place in the world that are like really that are really amazing and unique. And I, uh, my my husband, sort of lived here for a while before we met, and he's also from the U.S. But he speaks Georgian and has a long-standing relationship with Georgia. And we needed a base. And Georgia is what ended up making the most sense. We were living in Berlin for a while, um, but then came here because I think we both wanted a little more chaos in our lives than like Western Europe often provides, um, especially Germany. So, <laughs> so Georgia brought that chaos. And uh, yeah, I mean, Tbilisi is like an up and coming. I don't know how you would call it, but it's it's really a city on the rise, I would say. So it's fun to see that and to live amongst it. And there's always there's stuff happening here. I mean. It's small. It's small. It's a backwater of the world in a lot of ways, but I kind of like backwaters of the world. I think yeah. <laughs> interesting stuff can happen in them. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. Um, now for my final question, uh, we like to ask all of our guests, uh, what would be three things that you would suggest to create a more united planet? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, the first thing would be that people can, um, I mean, geez, a more united planet. I mean, if you're talking big, I can't maybe maybe not have passports. Certain passports weigh like be worth so much more than other passports. I just like you know, I just see friends of mine who have passports from Yemen or Syria, and just like how their lives are so negatively affected by that. It's insane. So I just wish for more open borders. Um, it's really unfair. It's the most one of the most unjust things in the world. I think. Uh, Two, I think that Americans should travel more and travel with an open mind more. Um, of course, there's people who travel who just travel with closed minds and aren't affected by it at all and aren't impacted by it at all. And I 
Um, I think that's, that, you know, I, I wish people would travel with more open minds, go to places that they wouldn't necessarily go. I traveled a lot growing up and it was, um, a, a privilege and something that I appreciate a lot and changed, infected, imp- impacted me a lot, particularly traveled in places to, to places where people wouldn't normally go, like go so often, but also the way that we traveled was then also like not on tours. It was a lot about sort of discovering things, discovering small towns, just taking in the world. Um, and that was. It was something that I just wish that more Americans would do. I think it would help a lot. The U.S. really lives in a little, like, with blinders on to the rest of the world in a way that is, um, in a way that is, that, that is quite harmful to the U.S. <laughs> and to its citizens. Um, and then thirdly, oh, geez, what would I say? Was Morgan and Planet for the third, the third one. That's true. I mean... Okay, the passport thing is my, my new crusade. I, I mean, not that I just, it's really, really bugs me. Um, and travel more. And I wish that, I'm just going to say this because it's journalism. I wish that the U.S. had better international news coverage. I think that would also help Americans not live with blinders on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and sort of get more stories from the rest of the world and that media um that our Western media sort of made that a priority, I think. And I think that would, um, I think that would, could, could help things as well. I mean, you know, events happen on the other side of the world and, and, and we have no idea about it. And I wish that there was more of an eye towards international news coverage and it wasn't so myopic in the U S. Yeah. Wow. Great. Thank you. Um, and now this is your time. So feel free to, uh, speak your mind. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. I appreciate what um, what you're trying to do. I mean, I mean, I think that one of the things that I've learned a lot in my sort of my, my life, you know, thus far in, in, in adult life, which has been lar- lived largely outside of the U.S. Um, and largely in countries in which I have the privilege of, uh, which being an American citizen is, is a privilege. I think that. Um, you know, realizing the reasons why, I mean, I mean, like I said, travel, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, it's, it's important to travel and it's important to travel with an open mind, but I think also realizing when, why, I mean, particularly for me, I'm thinking, my, you know, I, I have a large community of people who live overseas and um, who spend a large time overseas and, you know, I deal with a lot of aid workers and, Oh, just people, you run across people, you know, living outside of their home country. And and the reasons why we do that, I think is quite interesting. You know, the reasons why I left and the reasons why I enjoyed living in the Middle East, you know, it has, it's a complicated thing. That's for, it was for a lot of reasons, but you know, I would lie if it wasn't because when I'm there, I'm just considered special, you know, I'm a, I'm a white American. It was a special thing. And I think to not lie about ourselves, that lie to ourselves, that like, that's one reason we may like living in certain places and, um, and sort of, you know, really be open and honest with ourselves about like neo-colonialism. I think that's very important, particularly also when it comes to aid and development work. Um, I think there's a long way to go there and journalism as well. I mean, just that we aren't replicating, you know, just that we aren't fulfilling these, these, these neo-colonialist attitudes, um, is, is something really important. I think it's really important for any, um, white American who, or European, who spending time in um, 
in countries where people don't have, you know, I mean, basically poorer countries. I really hate the phrase developing world. I think it's kind of gross. So yeah, poorer countries and um, countries where people don't have the most privileges. And I think that, you know, I think there is some sort of uh, people are more open to that idea these days, or at least I think I see things being written about the white savior complex and things like that. Um, But I think there's still a lot of work to be done. And it's something I'm always like, you know, I'm always checking myself and always, you know, I have a lot of work to be done on that in that respect as well. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Yeah, Uh, no problem. We really appreciate it. And um, yeah, please stay in touch with us and hopefully we get to meet in person one day. Great. Thanks. Yeah. And and do you know when this is going to be done by any? Uh, Hopefully within the next couple weeks to the end of the month, we've got a couple, um, couple shows on the backdrop that we're trying to get through. Um, I don't know which one in line this will be, but hopefully not, not too long. Okay, cool. We will, we'll, we'll, we'll send you an email, um, before posting to let you know that we're about to launch it. So if you want to share it okay. and, and do all that fun yep. stuff. Will do. Um, anyways, but thanks, thanks for having me and thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much all for right. your time. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.